Welcome to The Confessional. I'm Mike Moran. Tell us your deepest, your creepiest, your funniest. Confess to us. No one's listening. All right, guys, welcome to the Confessional Podcast. My name is Mike Moran, and I am joined, as always, by very special producer, mm-hmm. Jimmy Seleski. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> good, man. I'm, I'm keeping it low-key. I'm grunge now today, dude. Oh, good. Yeah, we were just having a nice discussion with our, our upcoming guests mm-hmm. uh, about, about that whole genre and how you, as a millennial, mm-hmm. uh, you find post-grunge to be one of your favorite genres. Are you not a millennial? You know, it's debatable. I'm right on the line, 81. I think 83 is the cutoff. I think it's 83 to 95 or 96. Okay. So you're Gen X. I feel more like a Gen Xer, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I think those generation things are made up. Well, of course they are. It's not like they're in nature. It's not like, (laughs) you know, it's not like fucking... Like, I don't think I was just born an entitled bastard millennial. <laughs> it just happens. It just happens. You had, you had to grow into that. Yeah. 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 As far as I can tell, it doesn't say Generation X on my birth certificate. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's got stickers all over it, mm-hmm. you know, like the mm-hmm. coffee shop kind of yeah. stickers, grunge stickers. Uh, but Jimmy. Yes. We have a very special guest today. Um, he is from the Halloweenies podcast, one of my favorite podcasts that I've been listening to recently. Okay. They go over all the old slasher films. They, they've gone through uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. They've gone through Friday the 13th. They've gone through Halloween. And now they're on Scream. Nice. And actually, we got them Larry Zerner. Remember Larry Zerner from Friday the 13th Part 3 when we yes, had him? I do. Well, yes, he I do. jumped over there. Um, he also is a part of the Windy City Double Feature Picture Show podcast, which he'll tell us about. He's also a bartender and a psychotronic film historian. Will you please welcome Mike Vanderbilt? Mike Vanderbilt. I'm glad. Good morning. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm still kind of overwhelmed that anybody invites me on a podcast to listen to me talk. I... I, I, and I, Dude, I, I think you're great. I think you're great. I've, I've really, uh, you know, I, sometimes you find a podcast where you're like, this is going to be in my arsenal for a while now. I'm not going to get sick of this. And there's a million slasher film podcasts out there. It, it, indeed. Indeed. It, I mean, I was actually, when Halloweeny started, I didn't come on full time until the Friday the 13th season, which is the third season. Mm. But I had filled in as a guest on two of the Elm Street episodes. And I was pissed. <laughs> I was pissed that I wasn't asked to be part of this podcast. Really? I really yeah. liked I really liked what they were doing. Yeah. In that they were it was less about, you know, how does this make you feel? And it was uh, more about fun facts and trivia. Right. And and, and like kind of personal minutia. personal nostalgia too, you know, like I feel like I'm going back to the the opening of, of Curse of Michael Myers sometimes when when, you know, the guys get into uh <laughs> You know their, uh, their their history with these things and getting into the theater when they're too young and stuff like that. And it, it's fun for me because we're all close enough to the same age, but everybody's got different experiences, right? Right. With horror movies, so it's mm-hmm. not always the same story. Like uh, we get a lot of call, like on our Patreon, people. We uh, you know, if you pay a certain amount, we will do a movie. Sure. For you, we'll do the the. Uh, trademark Halloweenies deep dive, but people will ask us to do something like Hereditary, and 
something like that isn't as much fun to research as far as what the Halloweenies do because there's not a lot of history yet. Right, right. It's, it's like, what did this person do? They've, they've got three movies under their belt. There's not a lot to talk about there. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and something like Hereditary is such, I mean, a serious film. It's hard to have, it's hard to have fun on that episode. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I know what you mean. Um, but I, I do enjoy that, that people are taking horror seriously again, overall. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's, I feel like there is, there is something in Hollywood now where the, the film lovers who grew up on it, like you and I, are, are getting their chance to make films. And it's not like this low rent joke anymore, necessarily. I mean, that's what a lot of people forget about with the 80s. And we go into it, we go into it a lot with the Friday the 13th season of Halloweenies because Paramount treated the Friday the 13th series like, uh, you know, redheaded stepchild, right. to use a cliche. But it was making them so much money because yeah. they cost, you know, next to nothing. Yeah, it prints money, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people forget that we wouldn't have Lord of the Rings if it weren't for Freddy. Wow. Yes, the house. The house that Freddie built. Yeah, New Line wouldn't have existed. New Line Cinema. I've just been watching all the movies this past week. Have you really? Yeah, the oh, Lord wow. of the Rings movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, before I thought, we... I thought the Freddy Krueger movies. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> well, that too, yeah. Before we get to that, uh, Mike, tell us about the Windy City Double Feature and anything else you'd like to promote or plug. Yeah, so the Windy City Double Feature Picture Show podcast is me and uh, my friend Adam Karsten, who I've actually never met in person. Which people are sometimes, if you, they've listened to the show, are kind of surprised by that because they think right. we have a pretty good rapport. But we were put together by uh, the late, great Mike McBeardo McPadden. I don't know if you've read his books, Teen Movie Hell, <clears throat> uh, Heavy Metal Movies. No, uh, no, but it sounds uh, right up my alley. A real cool dude, like a, as we were discussing uh, before we started the show, a true Gen Xer as he was born in 1970. Nice. So he got to experience all the coolest stuff right, at right. the right exact times. Yeah. But he, he just knew that we were both creative types kind of floundering. And he says, you guys need to work together. And Adam pitched me the idea for the show. And I had done a couple podcasts a couple years ago. I was, I don't want to say I was in at the ground floor, but I, I felt like I was a little late. I did one with my buddies called Drinks on Monday. I did a service industry one with my bartending partner, Ashley. Mm. I did one with Katie Wright from the AV Club. I was doing a 21 Jump Street podcast. Wow. I was just trying all these different things. And then I wore myself too thin and I felt like nobody was listening. But then everybody would tell me, hey, why aren't you on a podcast? <laughs> and then I ended up on Halloween. Right. I was like, well, I had five of them. You didn't listen to them then. Why are you going to listen to it now? But yeah. I joined Halloweenies. Uh, Mike McPadden put Adam and I together. Adam pitched me an idea. We kind of worked it out. I thought it was a great concept, which is Adam's a bit of a Chicago historian, and he's inspired me to do the same thing. We go through old uh, like newspapers.com and find double features that played around the Chicagoland area. Cool. And we give a little history to theater, what was going on in Chicago at the time, local news, what else was playing at the other downtown theaters, because Chicago had a pretty strong grindhouse scene as well. It wasn't quite New York City mm -hmm. in the late 70s and early 80s, but a lot of the downtown theaters were playing that kind of dreck, as well as, you know, prestige and at your average right. C plus B minus movies that sure. uh, made the rounds. And we give a little history of that, a little history of the town, and then we go into the movies and we rank the movies and the double feature. Like, how does the double, how does the double feature play together? Right. And I think it's a lot of fun, and uh, it kind of combines a lot of my interests Great. in movies and Chicago history and kind of weird 
very uh, laser focused counterculture kind of counterculture. Yeah, counterculture. Like, and uh, just it gets. I get to go back to an era that I never that I I pine for because right, right. I was never there. Yes, yes, and we can always say the classic uh, nostalgia for a place you never were. That's a, that's a film critic's second favorite phrase behind uh, the the scenes. The the scenery is a character itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the city is a character in this right, one. Yeah. Well, the city is truly a character on the Windy City Double Feature Podcast. I'm <laughs> good. Um, Let's see. What else did I want to talk about real quick? The um, Okay, do you have any social media you want to plug or anything? Oh, yeah. Well, if we get that right up front, you can find me on Twitter, at Mike Vanderbilt. I was an early adopter, so I've got my actual name. I didn't have to put the real Mike Vanderbilt oh, nice. or anything in front of that. You can find me on Instagram at M.A. Vanderbilt. And uh, you can find me occasionally at Consequence of Sound, Daily Grindhouse, and Grumpire, Grumpire. where I do some writing when I have... When I have the time, awesome. podcasting takes up podcasting. This is the most amount of research I've ever really done for podcasts huh. before between the Halloweenies and the Windy City Double right. Feature. And it is very time consuming. But as you guys know, from doing a film podcast, it can, it's a lot of fun. It's very satisfying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. Have you come across any uh, films that are like unfindable? There are several that I know that are rumored to be unfindable, but I have I have a very strong connection yeah. that has been able to find me anything I've asked for. Awesome, awesome. There is there. I have think you heard one of the infamous, everybody's. What's that? I was gonna say one of the most infamous, like lost, well, not lost, but hard to find films is The Astrologer, hmm. Craig Denny's nineteen seventy six film that premiered at Fantastic Fest a couple years back and became kind of a mile, uh, a cult favorite over the past couple of years that uh, I did I did track it down, and it is absolutely worth watching if you're into psychotronic nice. cinema. Awesome. Yeah, the famous one I always hear about is the, uh, the, the homosexual uh, Jesus film called Him from Him. the 70s. <laughs> That they they found newspaper ads for, so it's confirmed that it exists. Okay, I thought you were going to say Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, the Passion of the Christ. Is, uh... <laughs> I what's he getting at? I don't know about this one, but I would. <laughs> this is something I need to see now. This is something I need to track down. Dude, look it up. It's very interesting. The whole story of of its you know existing and being lost and people not being sure if it was real for years. And to this day, they haven't found it, but they have found newspaper ads and like a couple other little things that confirm it. Wow. That's something I adore that we can still get in, what are we, in 2021 now? That So I, uh, when I was 15, I got onto Prodigy, and I got onto the news groups, and I was on the Laserdisc groups and the cult film groups. And you know, that was the early days of the internet, and stuff was still relatively hard to find, and there was still stuff up there out there that you couldn't find. And I love that there's still, even in the age of the internet, Absolutely. there's still movies and pop culture and stuff that, it's still lost. Right, right. And you'll still find it. One of my favorite moments of I mentioned, had mentioned Fantastic Fest down in Austin was the uh, AGFA, the American Genre Film Archive, did their secret screening, and it was Take It Out and Trade, the long-lost Ed Wood film. Oh, they found wow. it. Cool. They found it, and they re-edited it and remastered it and restored it, and it was you get to, I got to see a piece of you know film history. Wow, that's amazing. Even if it was low-rent film history, but sure. I'm an Ed Wood fan. That's kind of my thing. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Uh, well, let's jump into our topic of the day. Jimmy, we are discussing the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Okay. Are you, uh, you're not a big horror nerd as Mike and I. I realize yeah. that, but. Yeah. I appreciate are, it, but I'm not, I don't nerd out on it. Right, right. What's, what's your history with, with the Nightmare series? <sighs> well, most recently, my friend, uh, you know, Eric Glazer, yes. his older brother, Alex, is a huge horror fan. Okay. In fact, a uh, potential guest, I think. He's, he's okay. really into that stuff. He actually just bought uh, the Nike Freddy Krueger ones. What? It's a new shoe they just came out what? with. What? Oh, Mike, I saw are you those. familiar yeah. with this? Yep. Yep. Apparently, I'm familiar with those. Absolutely. Cost him a pretty I penny. Mean, I, I guess yep. I'm no. Yeah. Freddy was no stranger to merchandise. Yeah. From, uh, from wow. the second film on. Wow. Yeah. I, I hope they're filled with the putty that Nancy was walking in in the stairs in part one, you know? Oh, yeah. Like. Uh, the pancake batter yeah, or stuff, yeah. whatever it was. Apparently, yeah. they're very, very... So, like, they originally came out with uh, one... My friend Dan is a real sneakerhead. He's giving me the <laughs> sneaker rundown. Head, sneaker that's head. A thing. Yep. Oh, yeah. Our yeah. last guest, MC Search, admitted that he was a huge sneaker Oh, yeah. Head. that's. I mean, that's part of it. You know, you gotta, you gotta love sneakers. Uh, <laughs> but he uh, he was saying back in the early 2000s, they, they uh, released their initial Freddy Krueger shoe. Really? And uh, but they didn't get the rights from the production company to actually use the branding and marketing, so they wound up getting sued and having to take all them off the market. What were they thinking? You think you could just release a product <laughs> like that? They no were thinking. Gonna, they were was thinking, this by the Fresh Prince? Because he tried the same thing <laughs> with that uh, that song. Dude, they were thinking, uh, "We're Nike, bitch." I mean, honestly, like they've got eighty. They've got more money than the Fresh Prince. They can pay for the rights to that. Yeah, it's, maybe they thought they just wouldn't notice. I what, don't know. What do these shoes look like? Are they burnt up like flesh? They look like. I mean, there was basically. I look again. I haven't really seen all those movies in depth. I've seen bits and pieces of these different uh, Freddy Krueger movies. Well, how, how would the shoes compare to the second glove they used in Part Two that was on set but wasn't officially? Um, they're, they, they're red and they're essentially red and green. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That makes. They're sense. okay. I mean, as as, as uh, I guess you could call a, a, a Fred head if you want to use the term. Sure. Um, they were a little disappointing when I saw them. I was like, uh, that's what you came up with, huh, Nike? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think most. I mean, that you people aren't definitely not buying them because of how cool they look. They're buying them for the novelty of saying, "I got the Freddies." And like yeah. apparently the the previous version that I said was released in the early two thousands had to get taken off market. A pair of those is worth like twenty thousand. Oh right my now. goodness! So Alex bought his for a couple hundred, I believe. But like, I mean, depending on what their what their rights situation is wow. now, I mean, like that's that's really the thing I, of sneakers. I don't think you're supposed to wear them. He wears them every day. I think he's doing. You get two pairs like you do with an action figure or something, mm -hmm. so that you can have like one you take out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I stopped doing that probably about 20 years ago. It's like, you know what? If I'm going to buy it, I'm just taking it out of the box because I'm never going to resell this shit. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's only worth as much as I've learned from having a couple Star Wars toys from the the big run in the 90s in the box that it's only worth as much as anybody's going to pay for it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're just sitting on a bunch of junk in your house. Oh, yeah. I, I thought I was going to be a millionaire with my, with my comic book collection. We thought the, the same thing with the Pokemon cars, dude. You can't... <laughs> <laughs> no, the only the only money true money making thing was being beanie babies but you had to hit you had to strike while the iron was hot on yeah those. Right, right and i missed that completely i had i mean i had every beanie baby yeah i'm about to say you probably just missed that <laughs> i had every beanie baby and Did i just really? never sold them yeah wow you still have them i think they're in my attic somewhere okay well, my they parents might still be worth yeah they might but i can't sell them they need to take up more space in my attic sure. sentimental no i know what you mean 
Um, all right, let's jump into a confession here, you guys. This is from uh, Aaron Stevens, Erie, Pennsylvania. He says his favorite nightmare film is Dream Warriors. Uh, was still scary, and the hints of comedy were still based on fears rather than shtick. Loved that Nancy came back, and even though I didn't want her to die, her savior quality and death served the story well. The characters were pretty developed, and the acting was good, especially for a mid-'80s horror movie. The additional background info on Freddy was an enhancement to the original overall story, and it didn't seem like a silly retcon, uh, such as Freddy having a wife and child and killing 20 to 30 kids in the neighborhood in his spare time. Uh, just so you know, Jimmy, that was a passive-aggressive uh, stab at the Freddy's Dead film in the ending there. Yeah, I caught that. <laughs> Real shady. Um, yeah, that seems to be a common theme here. Nightmare 3 seems to be the most, uh, the most beloved. Nightmare 3, I, I can see why it's the favorite, because it is it. You get Wes Craven back, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit more of what people expect out of a Nightmare on Elm Street movie than right. the first movie. Right. But you're not quite into full-on MTV territory as you get with Part 4 to Dream Master, which, as we discussed on the Facebook page, I was surprised there wasn't more love right. for that one. Yeah. But I think three, three, three is an easy one to like. I mean, it was de- it's definitely one of my favorites. But, of course, the Elm Street franchise, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it today is that I think, and I always compare it to the Halloween franchise, that the worst, quote-unquote, worst Elm Street sequel is still a million times more imaginative right. than your best Halloween sequel. And I think that's what uh, puts the Nightmare on Elm Street series as my favorite of the 80s mm. slasher genre, even though I don't know if Freddy Krueger and the Elm Street series necessarily qualifies as a true slasher. Yeah, I mean, that's always debatable. I, I would I would put it under that category. Um, now, you're so you, you think the consistency is pretty solid all the way through then? I think all the Elm Street sequel, I mean, the first one is my favorite. The first one's the best. The first one is one of the most imaginative horror movies ever made. Yeah. I think. And it's it. what makes it extra imaginative to me is that I can't believe nobody in the previous 80, 90, Right, yeah. No one made a horror. film like that. I know. It's like, like such Nobody a... did anything with dreams. Yeah, yeah. Like in, 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 that, in that realm. And then all of a sudden, like that and Dreamscape came out within a couple years of each other. Oh, I'm not And one of my with... favorite bits of trivia is that the Snake Man from Dreamscape is actually on the original Nightmare Elm Street poster. Really? It's hiding up in the corner. It was a reference to, they wanted to make a reference to Dreamscape, and he put the, the Snake Man. Weird. Was Dreamscape before Nightmare? I think it's the same, I think they're the same year. Wow, I didn't know that. I think because Dreamscape's 84, but I think it came out earlier in the year. Huh. I'm going to find. <laughs> Did not but, know um, that. Yeah, I love, I love Elm Street 3. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, have you guys ever read the original script? For Elm Street Three? No, I think I've listened to like a few uh, recaps of it, but I've never read the whole thing. It's a little bit darker. It's a little bit darker. It was a it's, meta uh, movie, right? Like that was that was supposed to be like Wes Craven's new nightmare, wasn't it? No, it's it's closer. It's close. It's close to Part Three in a sense. It's the same concept with a bunch of kids in a institution fighting uh, against Freddy, but it's it's much darker, kind of doubles down on the Freddy as a uh, child molester in a couple points. Um, and it's it's good. You see, I mean, I, it, it's, it's an interesting bit of trivia that the script is actually what made it, that original script by him and Bruce Wagner is what made it into the original Nightmare on Elm Street 3 novelization. Oh, okay. 
1987, if you were reading the Elm Street 3 novelization, you probably would have been very confused right. about what was going on. Uh, and also it's notable because uh, <laughs> Wes Craven shouldn't be allowed to write uh, his, his dialogue that he wrote for the black characters can be a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Did he have yeah, him yelling little, like bouts to get it, funky it, on Freddy? <laughs> like we'll just say it. We'll 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 say it hasn't aged well. <laughs> oh man. Um, all right. Well, you know what uh, anecdote I wanted to bring up really quick. Uh, I'm sure Jimmy doesn't know this, and this is what always gets me: that Nightmare on Elm Street kind of is based on a true story. Which part? Right. It, there was a phenomenon, there is a phenomenon called sudden nightmare death syndrome that only exists in certain regions of Asia uh, and only in men where uh, you die in your nightmares. You die in your sleep, basically. I have heard this. And it's, I think they've recently figured out that it has something to do with your heart. But of course, it's had centuries of mythology around it, you know? Yes. It's a demon that kills you in your sleep. And uh, there was an instance of this with a war refugee who lived in L.A. with a family, with a foster family, who uh, w was having nightmares. I guess, I guess maybe nightmares kind of go along with it because maybe mm -hmm. your your heart's. I don't know if that's part of it. Well, that's like what it, it seems to be because the story is that the kid had a he had a coffee pot hiding in a room, much like Nancy in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, mm -hmm. and that he was so afraid to sleep. So yeah, I would assume that with this heart condition right. there's something that's happening in your dream that is terrifying you and i mean i still have i still have nightmares i was told on one occasion recently that i growl in my sleep <laughs> wow well nice but i, yeah, always, I, I don't always... know no, i mean i'm not there i'm sleeping i don't know what's going on and oh it, yeah like is there anything people... more disturbing than watching footage of yourself sleep from someone it. else i had it well, I wanted to put the I wanted to put the uh, the ring in there or that yeah the the camera or something so I can so I can document this and see what the fuck is going on because I'm sure you guys with your dreams like sometimes you remember them very vividly and other times you wake up and within an instant it's gone. Yeah, 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 both, both. I've always been fascinated with dreams and I think that was partially inspired by my love sure. of the Elm Street series growing sure. up. Yeah. Um. But I always thought that was weird that they, that Wes Craven didn't put a based on a true story on the on the first one. It'd be a very loose. Yeah, but it's connection. horror. They they yeah. if you if they can right. find the tiniest thread in seventies and eighties horror to connect <laughs> it to anything real, they're gonna exploit the hell out of that. I, I think I think it's easier to exploit that with Texas Chainsaw Massacre than a, a dream demon, though. I, I think even he, New Line was probably like, I don't know if we can sell this. Right, right. I don't think yeah. anybody's going to believe this is truly believe this is based on a true story. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I mean, that's classic exploitation ballyhoo, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see here from Chrissy uh, CL from Daytona Beach, Florida. She Spring says, break. Oh, yeah. Woo! <laughs> Spring break. <laughs> All <of> your red cups. <laughs> Uh, well, based off of immaturity, I like Freddy versus Jason due to the snappy comebacks. It was actually fun to watch as a kid. Now, I'm a little torn with Chrissy's statement here because I agree with her that I like Freddy versus Jason, but I don't agree that it was just fun when I was a little kid. It still rules. Ah, uh, I've heard it was good. Some people hate it. It's very, very divided. That's probably the most divisive one as far as who loves it and hates it in the, in the, front, in the Nightmare series. As far as the Elm Street series yeah. goes? Yes, I would say so because almost almost universally almost universally nobody likes the remake. 
or the reboot. Correct. And uh, Freddy's Dead, as I found out, particularly when I Freddy's Dead, uh, I, when I guessed it on Halloweenies for the first time, pardon me, it was for the Dream Child and for Freddy's Dead. And I, I enjoy Freddy's Dead for what it is. It's simply a, uh, it's a franchise running out of steam, like they're right. just running out of ideas. And I think in a weird way, Freddy is kind of intrinsically tied to the 1980s and seeing him try to get into the 90s like they didn't they just didn't know what to do because they'd run out of ideas sure they kept trying Freddy versus jason is i saw that one i saw that one opening night and i remember i liked that one fine i give Freddy versus jason probably a let's say a c plus two two and a half stars but i the coolest thing for me for freddie versus jason was sitting in that theater opening night sure and this is real. As the, lo- as yeah. the new line logo and the Paramount yeah. logo comes up, and as someone who grew up with this shit, right, right. you're like, I can't, be- well, I can't believe that it's actually fucking happening. Yeah, I mean, this, this, these and, were rumors since the 80s. They even announced it on MTV at one point in the mid-90s, I remember. And wow. I've just been waiting for it for my whole life, and it's it's pretty good. Uh, it's a probably a, it's a, definitely a better Elm Street movie than it is a Friday the 13th movie. If you had to decide where to put it uh, on the video store shelf, I would put it with the, the Elm Street films over to Friday the 13th films. But I thought it was kind of inspired making Jason kind of the anti-hero because Freddie is, I mean, he became a pop culture icon. He was, uh, you know, as Nancy says in New Nightmare, he's like Santa Claus, everybody knows him. But they kind of washed over after the first film that he essentially was, they never mentioned it, but he was a child molester. Yeah. Yeah. They, they wanted to couch it by making him simply a child killer. Because yeah, that's weird. How so that's better. much more palatable, <laughs> right, yeah. I guess. I mean, it is. Yeah. Well, I, I got to say with Freddie versus Jason, and I know I'm in the minority here. It, I had that same feeling of, I can't believe this is happening. And that I, it exceeded my, I never lost that feeling while watching it. I was like, this is exactly what my 10 year old self fantasized about seeing. You know, I thought it was, I loved that it was over the top, like all the set pieces were good. Uh, there's a little bit of crappy CGI, but you know, it, you know, I, I just thought it was super fun and, and just well made in like a campy kind of way. It is fun. I wish, I, I think a little bit of me was uh, hoping for like a little bit more, I mean, I, a little bit more of a darker take. Not ultra dark like the first movie, because I mean, Freddy, you, after part three, Freddy can't be scary. Anymore. Sure. Like, that's just, and the filmmakers knew that, and they leaned into more of the, for lack of a better term, sci fi kind of fantasy element mm-hmm. of the character. And I thought Jason Goes to Hell did a lot of that really well. But I do think, like, because it was made in the 2000s, like, I think, again, because of these characters being so tied to the 80s, it, it, it does feel like a digression or a a move away from what made those original series. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, resonate with me. See, I suppose. this is how I look at it, Mike. With the slasher films, they usually start as horror movies and then become monster movies. You know what I mean? Indeed. Like the and it, it almost has like that 1985 cutoff. Like the ones before 85. Yes. were slow burning, creepy, dark, atmospheric, tension building. Well, they had a. 
they had a little bit more, they had one foot still in like 70s melodrama, right. I felt, particularly with like the original Friday the 13th movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then after 85 or so, it turned more into just being about the villain, not really trying to build tension or anything, which, and I enjoy both of them. You know what I mean? I, I'm up for a good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I probably, I'm, I'm probably always going to err more on the side of, of the actual horror movies. But, uh, you know, I, I've got love for both of them. And, and if you're making Freddy versus Jason, you're not making the horror version of that. You know, you're, you're yeah. making the, the... Yes, you, you do need to give it a more fantastical spin. Um, as far as, like, the scripts that were out there, I, the, the, the one that had uh, Jason on trial sounded absolutely bonkers. Yeah. But I don't know <laughs> if that would have translated to film. There uh, was I some love bizarre, the idea yeah. of introducing... I, I love the idea of introducing Ash from the Evil Dead movies. That could have been great in, into the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, because then you make then you have a, a true hero. Because Ash is the rare character in horror movies where the series follows the hero rather than the villain. Right, right. Yeah, I, th- I thought that could have been amazing if they had made uh, Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Apparently, everybody was on board except for Sam Raimi. Damn. Really? That's what I've heard. I'm surprised. Uh, I'm surprised. He seems like he'd take a paycheck. I don't know. I I think he holds Ash to be too sacred. I think he's a little selective with with Ash. Like uh, you know, they, they, everybody's been wanting an Evil Dead Four since forever, and he's refused to make it. I can respect that. We watched. Uh, we had Army of Darkness on at the bar last night when I was working the door, so I kind of stood there and watched it with no close captioning or anything. And that I always say that was the movie that taught me that eighty minutes is the perfect length for not only a horror movie, probably for any movie, right? Because the movie doesn't slow down and it delivers everything you want. Mm-hmm. I love Army of Darkness, but now, Evil Dead remains my favorite of that series. Speaking of crossovers, I'm the surprised original. this was never mentioned on Halloweenies, but there was. I don't know how much of this is rumor and how much is it true, but after the success of Freddy versus Jason. And there was talk of a uh, Halloween Michael versus Pinhead. And they had the plot fleshed out and everything. It had something to do with, like, uh, Pinhead finds some evil demon in Michael, something like that. Oh, I've never I've never heard that one. I'm not surprised by it at all. Uh, I don't know. I don't I, See, for me, the Halloween series just kind of stops after that first one. Really? I don't, you don't think like Michael two? Myers is... All right, so here's my thing with two. I think two does an admirable job, admirable job of kind of keeping the aesthetic of the first one. It truly feel if you cut those two together, it truly feels like one movie, yeah. despite having different directors and I believe different cinematographers. But it's just such a slog when you compare it to the original film because, so Halloween kicks off the slasher thing. Mm-hmm. You can debate Black Christmas. You can debate Psycho, Chainsaw. Uh, it, Chainsaw, like Halloween is the slasher formula. And then it inspires a couple years of knockoffs, including Friday the 13th. But every movie that comes after Friday the 13th is not a ripoff of Halloween. It's a ripoff of Friday the 13th. Right. Yeah. So seeing Halloween too, essentially rip off Friday the 13th by upping the kills mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and trying to be more inventive because the Halloween kills aren't necessarily inventive. And that's kind of what I like about it. Right. Yeah. It's not about the, it's not about the violence per se. It's about the, the fear, you know, the tension, the the tension and the suspense. And I don't think Halloween two does a very good job out of that. So despite having some sort of nostalgia for it, and I do like the climax, Mm -hmm. I hate the brother sister. Right. Connection. And it just it, it feels like such a pale a pale imitation of that original film. Yeah, and I, Halloween three, of course, is it? 
own thing. Its yeah, own thing yeah, entirely. Definitely. And that, yeah, that has that's gained a, a cult following recently too. With Halloween two though, I the thing that I really appreciate is that that chase scene when he's chasing her through the hospital and she's going through the uh, the elevator and everything and crawling out the window. That's about as tense as the first chase in in the first movie to me. Yeah, which is I, so I, I, rare. I'll give you that. I'll- like so many, like you're saying, all these horror movies copied Halloween and then Friday the Thirteenth, but they always left out the, the taking the time to make a good suspenseful third act. I agree with that, and it was because the gore became even more so than the monster. The gore, the inventive mm-hmm. deaths, became yeah. to start a show, and something I and we talked about it quite a bit on Halloweenies once we got to Friday the Thirteenth Part Five was how all these series kind of took the same route of giving us unlikable characters who we were rooting for the killer Mm -hmm. to kill. Mm -hmm. And I think the Friday the 13th film started to do that with part five. Yeah. And I don't, but I will say, and back to, you know, the topic of hand, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I think one of the reasons the Elm Street series does excel and one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I think it's the best of this, this era is that they always gave you likable characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah characters and, that you related to. Right, and there there was care put into the the plots. Is I mean, every single one of those people have argued have has sort of a, a subtextual thing going on. You know, like uh, like part one is uh, is about uh, uh, you know just like going through puberty and everything. Part two is uh, about. Uh, um, uh, a, a kid who's struggling with his homosexuality. Part three is about kids struggling with suicidal thoughts. Um, I don't know about four, but five is definitely like teen <laughs> part, birth. part four is about struggling with the advent of MTV. It would appear. <laughs> it's uh, struggling with pizza, I think. And that's, that's another thing I'll tell you right now is I, I am not a fan of part four. I don't know why people love that one so much. I'll tell you here. I'll tell you exactly why part four, because I, I sometimes will rank this as my favorite of the sequels. Wow. Because, I mean, I understand the love for three. I love three. Three is usually kind of, three and four are usually neck and neck. And I love two. Uh, the thing I love about two is that Freddy's still scary in that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing about love about three is they really start bringing more imagination into it. And the thing I love about part four is part four is where you truly see Freddy become the pop culture icon that people think of when they think of Freddy Krueger. Sure, sure. Because... And I don't think it's that much of a three and the the Freddy Krueger you see in three and four is that much of a digression or a departure from the original because f- people forget Freddy was always cracking jokes. Yeah, definitely. Freddy definitely. cracks jokes in that first movie. People think I mean it didn't really get to the point of what we think about Freddy Krueger until three and four, but that's part of what I like about those is that's where he becomes MTV Freddy. That is where, as I wrote in a video essay that I did for Consequence of Sound, that's when Freddy became a rock star in part four. And it's the most MTV of all of them with all the colors and all the set design. And I think it's the impressive thing about part four, I'm a big fan of Rennie Harlan as a director. I love The Long Kiss Goodnight. And I like Die Hard too. Yeah, and I think he's got a great visual eye. uh, Did he do the shark movie? Music video. Deep Blue Sea, right? Deep Blue Sea? Yeah, he's got a great visual eye. He, He... he knows how to shoot action, and I think with Nightmare on Elm Street 4, it just sells that new Freddy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
and it welcomes him into the world. It's it's the announcing of Freddie as a pop culture icon. Right. The icon that people think that he always was, but he that's not until 1988 sure. that Freddy Krueger becomes the Freddy Krueger that you you know from pop culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get to another. I think this actually touches on what we were just talking about from Ben Webb, Omaha, Nebraska. Ooh. The home office at Omaha. Nebraska. Beautiful downtown Omaha. <laughs> Uh, I'd give the edge to the original. Introduction to a terrifying concept as everyone needs to sleep, and many can relate to the fruitless attempts to stay awake for long to avoid an evil lurking. Really? People can relate to that? Yeah. Freddy was not fleshed out <laughs> exhaustively or a cartoon with the need to throw out quips. He was just, uh, he just was and determined to get to his targets. It wasn't exactly clear how the how they would overcome him or if he could be co- could be overcome. He seemed at his most sadistic and threatening in this one, as the concept was well executed. I enjoyed later installments like Three, New Nightmare, and even parts of Verses, but the original stands tall in my view. I absolutely agree with that statement, uh, but I think, and I, but he made the same point: is that you can't just keep doing that for seven or eight movies like maybe in a perfect world the nightmare elm street series stopped after that first film you heard those closing notes in nightmare by 312 and Uh that was it we never saw freddy (laughs) krueger again but you know that's not gonna happen because it made a shit ton of money and they got nightmare elm street 2 out almost a year to the day wow it wow. was released. That's how fast they moved that thing into production. Oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah, I agree I've got with that, boxes I haven't I, unpacked in my room from four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think I finally quit during uh, when stay-at-home orders kicked in as a bartender. I think I finally unpacked my house <laughs> after being here for four or five years because I had nothing else to do. But I appreciate that the Elm Street series always tried to bring some imagination into it. And it's one of the reasons I enjoy Jason Goes to Hell, which is another divisive sequel. Absolutely that I've I've talked at length about on a couple different podcasts, including Halloweenies, is that, look, this is the night with Jason Goes to Hell. This is the ninth film in this franchise. This franchise has run out of steam. Mm-hmm. You want to make Jason a body hopping demon? <laughs> Fine. At yeah. least it's some at least it's imaginative, yeah. even though you're ripping off the hidden. Right. Like yeah. at least it's not the same old bullshit. Like when people talk about they want a new Friday the 13th film, like it's like they want the same old bullshit except in the snow. <laughs> yeah, that's the number one requested. Like whenever I'm, I'm like on a Friday the 13th fan page or anything, it's always yes. like, when are we going to get Jason in the snow? <laughs> it, yes, it's a great concept, but like you need to do something else with that to make me excited for it. Cause I hated the uh, 2009 reboot of Friday yeah. the 13th. Yeah. And the less said about the, Elm Street reboot the better but I will say one thing I liked about the Elm Street remake that I was disappointed that they didn't go whole hog on they suggest have you seen you guys have seen the the remake I've seen all of them I don't know about Jimmy I don't believe so no like 2010 so as we know in the original films Freddy Krueger was a child murderer the parents burned him alive he returned to their dreams to you know the sins of the parents cast upon the children it's a great concept no, what they did with, they suggest with the remake is that Freddy Krueger was framed, or that he was uh, he he did he was he wasn't yeah. the molester. He was wrongfully accused, and they killed the wrong. He guy. was wrongfully he was wrongfully accused, wrongfully killed, and I think that makes for a more interesting character because if you're truly looking to reboot the series, now you have sort of a simp- a sympathetic empathetic villain in that yeah you know he shouldn't be killing these teenagers. Mm-hmm. But his reasoning behind it is sound. He was 
unduly uh, murdered by their parents. And then they, they suggest that and they play with that and then they pull it all back right. at the last minute yeah. and say, no, 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 no. He really was uh, he really was exactly what we thought he was. And I think that's so disappointing because if you're going to reboot uh, a classic series like this, at least throw some monkey wrench into it. Sure, sure. Yeah, and taking Which away... Which the... Jason goes to hell. Yeah. <laughs> For better or worse. Taking away the child molester aspect does make him, I feel like, especially nowadays, like kind of a more appealing character you know what i mean like yeah absolutely you absolutely could be more of a sympathetic monster like mike was saying and, and also you could play with the idea of hysteria and and storytelling and you know and myth and you there's know, there's so much panic. potential they could have got they could have gotten some satanic I, panic stuff in there you yeah. know because that was a issue I remember reading in a Fangoria when I was you know I think it was upon the time of the release of the Dream Ma or the Dream Master was that it the subject came up like this guy was a child murderer how is he you know this funny right yeah quippy guy now but they kind of just kind of let they forgot about that yeah, and that's yeah. fine which but it does make me wonder in the age of social media now would the Elm Street series have stood a chance? Yeah, because well, of the origins of this character, right? Would right. people? I mean, He'll people, be people, people, Freddy Krueger canceled after people, they discovered his. Uh, <laughs> yeah, people, people will find anything to be upset about. Yeah. but I, I, it, it's hard for me to be upset about a fictional character. Well, maybe Jimmy doesn't understand this. Like Freddy Krueger was not your typical horror movie icon. Like he was everywhere in the late '80s. He was like hosting shows on MTV. Really? Yeah, he was like a uh, oh, this, oh, it this was child huge. murdering burn victim was like Elvis <laughs> for for a few years. I mean, that's a big step for child murdering burn victims, though. If you think about it, <laughs> it like, is it's yeah. good. He is the Jackie Robinson of yeah. that. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> I mean, there was like. You know, kids dressing up like him for ha for Halloween. You know, it was like almost a family friendly thing. You know, see that is interesting because I really well, don't have a concept of that. Yeah, like so it does kind of change. Like, yeah, let me give you a little brief history of the Freddy merchandising. So, as far as my research goes, the first bit of official Freddy merchandise was a poster for Part Two, and it was that poster with him with the hand up in front. It's an iconic, iconic image. Part Two has my favorite makeup design by Kevin Yeager. Yeah, it is a good record. one. Yeah, and that was the first. That was the first bit of merchandise. So then, by '87, you have the Freddy Crew, Freddy's Greatest Hits record album. Yes, which is one of my favorite <laughs> bits of merchandise because it's. A bunch of studio musicians covering like do the freddy by freddy and the dreamers <laughs> and all i have to do is dream yeah. but like robert england laughing over right. the the tracks yeah. and what i appreciate is that like on all that silly shit like that robert england always showed up and gave it his all he absolutely he loves his character bread yeah. and butter and he loved it and some actors worry about getting typecast robert england didn't care he yeah he he leaned into it and loved it, and it's something I've always appreciated about him in interviews. And then by '89, you have him on trading cards, you have him on children's T-shirts. I had one. I had a wow. blue T-shirt with wow. Freddie in the tuxedo that I bought at a Zare. <laughs> I don't know if anybody knows what a Zare is. Oh uh, and you had him on candy, and it, it's just astounding. Yeah, he was it's counting phenomenon. with Elmo on Sesame Street. <laughs> one severed head. They had a, a talk. A talking doll that you could get at Toys R Us. Yeah, yeah. Before parents groups kind of uh, ruined it. Into that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, he was... and you know they killed him off in '91. 
Yeah, which uh, again, I will say uh, that's that's one of the, see. Here's my here's my outlier uh, uh, things for Nightmare Street. I love verses, and I love Freddy's Dead, and I don't love Four, and I don't love New Nightmare. Freddy's Dead, I think, is what like, about five? Go ahead. What about five? What's your take on five? Five was the first real slasher movie I think I ever saw. And it probably like the first hard R movie I saw in general. Okay, uh, like on, on home video or at the or like at ho- the show. Home video. Uh, my my friend Scott Walston was all, was you know there's the kid in the neighborhood who was allowed to rent these things. You know, way too young. That was me. That was me. <laughs> I... Yeah, my, my parents loosened up a few years later, but this was like probably like fifth grade around then. Yeah, maybe a little younger, maybe third grade. And uh, so that one always has a special place for me, and not just because of the nostalgia, but because it got into my psyche, you know? And I was having nightmares about that hospital scene in the beginning and all that stuff. And, and I, didn't, I didn't know, like, what Freddy really was. I knew he was, like, a murderer. I didn't know he was, like, right. a dream murderer that could turn your worst nightmares into reality <laughs> and have you in this grotesque, surreal world. You know, it, like, Five was genuinely disturbing in parts. Like, those nuns at the beginning, the, uh, the, f- the force-feeding that uh, anorexic girl... Oh yeah, uh, Greta. That, that's a great death. E- even yeah, the part uh, five. I like part five. The body horror oh, no, go ahead, go of, ahead. of uh, the dude on the motorcycle, like watching his body just be disintegrated. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like part five as I got. Part five was fine when I was a kid, but I I liked the comic book death. The comic book death always resonated with me. But I liked part five the more more as I got older because even if it doesn't always hit all its marks, but it swings for defenses and trying to be an adult film with adult probably you're trying to have the characters grow up like with the audience like the audience that grew up with freddie who were teenagers are now getting into adulthood and even if it's only you know slightly they deal with the issue of abortion they deal with right. uh dan's death in a more realistic fashion than maybe we got out of some of the other elm street movies and what alice has to go through is you know she's pregnant with this child and the and you know the father's dead now and what I like about part six is that, yeah, like I said, it's a franchise running out of steam, mm-hmm. but they still have the imagination and both five and six have great soundtracks too, which we can maybe talk about later, but I'm interested to hear why you don't, why you don't like new nightmare. You know, I, I, sh- on paper, I should love it. You know, everybody talks right. about how it's, how it's like this genius, more grown up meta take on the whole phenomenon of, of violent media and of of the uh, you know slasher, f- and just what we were talking about, like the the, the uh, turning Freddy into a friendly figure, um, but uh, I just think it sucks. Like I don't I don't feel like they get really deep into those concepts in any stimulating way. It all feels very um, kind of soap opera ish to me. I think they only get into like the surface level of the meta stuff. And uh, it's just, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of Heather Lang- Langenkamp as an actress. You know, I hear that all the time. I was not on the Nightmare on Elm Street episode of Halloweenies, but I think Heather Langenkamp is just fine as an actress. But I agree with uh, all of your other points about New Nightmare, which I usually rank towards the bottom of the list because I think Wes Craven, despite having, you know, changed horror in three different decorate decades. Uh-huh. You cannot deny him Last House on the Left, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, Absolutely. and Scream. But I don't think he has, like, a visual aesthetic as a director. Uh-huh. And I think that's on full display in New Nightmare, which is very 
point and shoot and it just doesn't hit me and like i think a lot of people like the reputation or like the idea of new nightmare more than they actually like the film right I mean, that's just yeah. me that's that's me projecting uh-huh. that's me pontificating but i don't think it's as smart or as savvy as i think it is i think scream is much more absolutely on point as absolutely. far as meta or even friday the 13th part six yeah definitely. but i did like the new freddy design and i did like taking him out because if new nightmare was really trying to reboot the series which i don't think it was i really think it was west craven trying to finally mm-hmm. uh, you know put the final nail in the coffin taking him out and making him a uh, a different kind of demon and then you get to get rid of the whole child killer stigma that right. was attached to him was pretty savvy but i do dig freddy in leather pants and a long coat i always <laughs> like that yeah i, I always I liked, liked his that look, look. And, i liked his look in that one i'll admit that um i did you ever read the novelization of that no i had that as a kid Have you? yes as a kid i you know couldn't see for some reason i was allowed to see these at, by a certain point on video but not in the theaters i guess because they don't allow children to yeah, rated movies and my parents well that's just it my dick my dad took me and my sister to see Freddy's Dead, which I think may be the first true, according to Hoyle, horror film that I ever saw, okay. as we say on the south side of Chicago, at the show. And that was mostly because we wanted it. We'd never seen a 3D movie before. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the 3D. And we wanted that. to see that ending yeah, in 3D. Yeah, I was so jealous. My sister got to see it in 3D. She brought the glasses home. Oh, I, I, I wish I still had the glasses. I might have them at my parents' house somewhere. But my dad was always a pretty good sport. Like he's not, he, horror movies don't do it for him. It was more my ma who was in the horror movies. She bought me my first issue of Fangoria, which had Freddy Krueger on the cover. Oh, great! For uh, Dream Master in 1988, and the headline was Freddy's last movie. Yeah, bullshit. <laughs> um, but I remember I I went to see New Nightmare with my dad, too. Uh, I went to see it the Saturday that it opened. Yeah. So I, um, in the novel, the novel had a nice touch where the author did a meta, like a double meta on you, and they start including like uh, pages of his so-called diary. And then at and and while he's writing this book, the the demon Freddy or whatever is now going another layer and getting into his dreams. <laughs> and it really? ends, yeah, and it ends with like a, a fake newspaper blurb about this writer who was found dead. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I thought that was pretty awesome. And, and honestly, it had me confused in middle school. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is fake, but, uh, you know, there's no internet to check it out with. And and then I started thinking, like, what if this thing really is real? Like, what if, this, <laughs> what if it's, like, coming out of the movies and into the real world? California. Jimmy, you're not going to get that one. <laughs> um, all right. We got one here from... Yeah, let's, uh, we got some more confessions. This is fun. I, I like this. It's a, I like the format of awesome. this show. Thank you, Mike. Thank yeah. you. Read Straight a confession. I mean, I, it's, just... it's, it's, kind of in, it's kind of ingenious. Really? Wow. Ingenious. Well, just to let... Uh, your, it's, it's like a question and answer thing with you know, your, your listeners. It's well, great. thank you. That's, that's flattering to hear from you. Genius. Not as flattering as to hear from you, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this Takes is one from... <laughs> And Pame, no town. Uh, the original was new. There was nothing like it. Further, the more they tried to make Freddy clever with his verb jabs, it reduced him down to something campy versus the original terrifying. See, I, I think saying they reduced him is uh, being reductive, actually. I just think that 
with any horror series, it is hard to keep the villain scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you just become familiar with it. And it's easier to become familiar with Freddy, with Robert Englund making all of his appearances on talk shows and stuff. Right. But right. I, maybe it might be, this might be blind nostalgia on my part. I love that era of Freddy uh-huh. as much as I love that I, I, the first film, which I still think is uh, terrifying and imaginative right. and original. See, I, I, but I don't think you could, you couldn't have kept remaking that first film. See, I don't know if I completely agree with that. I know that's how a lot of horror fans feel. It's like they're not going to be scary once they become, you know, known and, and everybody's seen them. But I don't know that that means you can't make another scary movie. You know what I mean? Like, if I, mm-hmm. I, I'm yeah. completely familiar with the character of Michael Myers, I know everything he's going to do in that first movie. I still get tense during that final chase. I don't see why you can't, you couldn't do that in a sequel. I, I feel like if, if a filmmaker took the time and, and, and had the love for it and crafted a, a scary film, you could have one of the classic characters in it. But wouldn't that, aren't you just essentially remaking? You would almost have to remake that first film because the sequel's always got to be bigger. Right. It's got to be better. It's got to be more imaginative, and it's got to throw a hook into it. Otherwise, you just end up like I'm trying to think of a series. Like I mean, at least like I can't think of a good example, but I will say uh, as much as I don't really like that back end of the Friday the Thirteenth series, you know what they tried? They they brought in a telekinetic girl. They tried. They tried their <laughs> damnedest to bring him to New York yeah. <laughs> for what that's worth. Have you seen Jason Takes Manhattan, Jimmy? Uh, no. Nah, again, I've seen bits and pieces of all these movies just from watching uh, AMC Fear Fest every October. Right. Uh, and so sometimes I watch them and I don't even know which one it is. But I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that scene you're talking about. Well, but I don't know. if it's the one with him on a boat, that's the one in Manhattan. Okay. Because I think he's I, on the yeah, boat like 90% of the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the SS Manhattan. Yes. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the SS Lazarus. Duh. But no, you know, Jimmy, what you're saying about Fear Fest, though, that's the, that's the only reason why I've seen Halloween 4 and 5 as many times as I have. Right. Two sequels that I absolutely abhor because I would just put on Fear Fest because it's October and you just want something sure. on in the background. And next thing you know, I'm watching... Halloween five. Again. Yeah, well, you know, because that's all they play is the Halloween. Two and points that. I'd like to make real quick, Mike. I think I'm I'm with you, and I believe we are both in the minority here that f- Halloween four sucks. I don't know why people love it. You agree with that? Oh, it's awful. It's awful. Yeah, and people act like it's, it's like this great classic. Uh, I, 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 and the second thing is, say what you will about Halloween five, it has one item that makes it more brilliant than literally any other film I've ever seen. And Mike, you're going to relate to this. There are two mics in the movie. How realistic is that? There's always two mics. <laughs> yes, they're all. They, yes, that's There's the only all, film I can think of that does that. That is a great point because uh, you said you were born in '81. I'm born in '80, and that was the right. apparently the most popular name for from about 1980 till about uh, today. Still the most popular <laughs> name. That's why I'm always. I would always be the Mikey. Or I end up being, as you know, listening to Halloweenies, I'm Vanderbilt. Sure. Mike Rothman's Mike. That is a solid last name. Vanderbilt. Yeah. Vandy. Yeah. Could be Vandy, Vandy, Van. Vanderbilt. Oh, I mean, that sounds like a Mikey V or something, right? Van, built by Vander. Mikey Van V. Bits. Mikey V is. And I, it, I don't, if you were on the Jersey Shore. Call me whatever you want. Call me Jagoff. <laughs> it's Mikey V. 
Call him Mikey Michael Five because you got the V there. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, there you. Oh, I like that. Michael Five, the final chapter. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. New that beginning. Might be, sir. That might be my new Twitter handle. <laughs> or new, oh fuck. Oh. Oh God. my God. And you're giving Jimmy edit grief for getting the Lazarus name wrong. I know. I know. I know. I did, you know what? I someone's I got, got egg on their face. I got what I deserved on that. <laughs> Don't give up your original name on Twitter. <laughs> it's funny dude. That's a commodity. Uh, Jimmy, you were saying about how you know how they all kind of run together. Like that's something that happens when I play the movies at the bar at Rock Island Public House in Blue Island. Like when people come in and they're like, uh, "Oh, which one is this?" And I'm kind of like, "How do you not know which yeah. one this is?" <laughs> Clearly, so his mask has three and a half thing. inch so, capes. Yeah, can't you read the subtitles <laughs> yeah. in this and loud like, bar it's, it's to tell so me much- what? Yeah, there's nothing that builds yeah. tension like subtitles like, in a loud even... bar. With yeah, movie. yeah, with people screaming for their mozzarella sticks in the corner. Sorry, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, it's not it's not so much that it's like a gatekeeper thing so much as like in my mind, sometimes like, wait a minute, you didn't watch these movies all the time when you were a kid. <laughs> God, what were you doing? <laughs> Meeting girls or Talking something? To girls, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Weirdo. <laughs> um, OK, this is what I want to discuss next, if it's OK. I I want to get your take, Mike, and maybe even you, Jimmy. Okay. Of there will inevitably will be another nightmare film, correct? I mean, it's just it's going to happen at some point. Um, I, 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 you know what? It's a series that if if there never was one, I'd be happy with it because I was always impressed at aside from New Nightmare, which is kind of much like Halloween three, kind of its own thing. Right. When they killed Freddy and Freddy's dead, he never came back. Well, he came back for verses. Not like Jason, who came back a year later, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, actually, and Jason reboot- stayed pretty dead. If we, Well, yeah, in the 80s. But when they, there's actually two final Friday the 13th sure, films, sure. Uh, Jimmy. And neither one are the final one. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. But in the, if Jason Goes to Hell, <laughs> there was a pretty big gap there before the next seven, film. Seven years. Seven years. Yeah, yeah. which basically was saying these movies are not making any money in the 90s, so we're shutting them down with one mm. last gimmick of killing them off. Yeah, 90s horror is an interesting beast. Which yeah, it's almost, it almost runs parallel with, uh, with hair metal, honestly. It, it, I, I, use, that on your, use that on your thesis that you're working on. I may. On. I, like I that. may. Uh, okay, but, but anyway, if, you, have a, you have a question. If, if and when the next Nightmare film is produced, what would you like it to be like? You know what I want? I want it to go whole hog out there. I want Lee Wannell, who I like, who did Upgrade, uh, hmm. and The Invisible Man. I like his style oh, as a okay. director. I like he's, who I always, he's who I always kind of pegged to do A New Elm Street. A lot of people say Jordan Peele, and I'd be interested to see what he could do, but I'm, a, I'm in a Lee Wannell camp. I want to see full-on Inception meets Freddy Krueger. Whoa. Okay. Because like I, I think you, I think you can't make. I, I, I'm in that firm camp that you really can't make him scary anymore. I also believe you need Robert Englund to come back. Okay. I so, so we're doing a direct slasher. sequel to the original series, then. Yeah. Or like it takes place in the universe, right? Where I like the idea of a team of mercenaries going into the dream world to have to fight Freddy. And as much as I'm an advocate for practical effects, I think if there's one series particularly horror series that could make good use of CGI and building cool, uh, what do I want to say, landscapes, 
it's the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know what aesthetic I think would be good? Because if if we were discussing this in 2004, I would have said no, no CGI, all practical. Because CGI sucked sure. back then, and they yes. overdid it all the time. Yep. It's pretty darn good now. And uh, have you seen the film Mandy? Yes. If it, if Nightmare had that type of aesthetic, I think that would be really cool. I think so. Yeah, it, it needs to be. It needs to be hyper stylized, uh, but it has to have some sort of imagination to it, and it has to bring, I think, something new to the series rather than just. I kind of get tired of the like. Let's go back to basics. Uh huh. Why? Well, yeah, the basics I'm, have been done. Right. We did a great job with the first one. We don't need another one. Yeah. Like that. What I want to see is like, uh, like you said, there's all these great horror directors nowadays that are actually getting good funding for their movies and that actually care about the movies. I want to see one of these new guys take on at least one of the slashers. You know, one of my favorite stories. Here's here's a funny story I love telling is that so at Fantastic Fest a couple years ago I was on the Fantastic Feud which was a it's a trivia it's like the family feud <laughs> where you're put on a team and uh one of my teammates was Ari Aster no way who is and I didn't know till I got down there like that's who was going to be sitting next wow. to me I and I made him drink Malort Chicago's favorite liquor oh my god <laughs> that just sucks dude I had that uh, like a, it's a my year favorite. ago I made I I'll show, I'll send you guys a picture of me making Ari Aster drink the Lord, but I and I laugh because oh I'm kind of I don't know if you know this I'm kind of a boisterous loud individual and Ari Aster is not he's very soft spoken right. yeah. real nice guy yeah. and I'm like well I don't know why the fuck they decided to put us next to each other <laughs> but I'm talking to him and you know the, a lot of the questions are about a lot of trashy fucking horror movies like okay my kind of junk my kind of right. trash right and I was like man, do you like any of this stuff? Like, I know you're, you know, hereditary in midsummer, like, and he goes, you know, man, not really. I'm like, well, is there, do you have like a favorite or is the one you like? He goes, you know what? I really like sleepaway camp. So maybe we can get Ari Esther to redo sleepaway camp in wow. the future. Wow. That could be cool. Could but he's one of the new guys that everybody talks about. Like, I mean, I, I liked Hereditary, didn't like Midsummer, but I will certainly give him another chance. But yeah, there's a lot of new guys out there that I think could handle a Elm Street sequel. But I think the Elm Street sequel needs to lean into the sci-fi fantasy element rather than that true horror element. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that Inception-ish idea. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. Jimmy knows what's up. So let's get, uh, what's it, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Dude, I would love it if somebody, like, I mean, <laughs> look at, look at, like, when Batman and Robin was in theaters, did you ever think there would be a film with Batman as brilliant as like The Dark Knight? Yeah. I That's what I want to see no. in horror. I want someone to take it and make it and do it really well. Scorsese. Yeah, I, I, maybe? I wonder who I I, <laughs> I wonder I you know what that <laughs> is something that I would love to ask Scorsese. I would want to know what he thought of particularly Nightmare on Elm Street, because I'm sure he doesn't, he likes genre film. Like, I think that's something that people get wrong about him. He loves horror. He Does loves he? genre film. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, I would definitely be curious what he thought of something like a Nightmare on Elm Street, because I'm sure he's seen it. The motherfucker's seen everything. Sure. Obviously. Sure. Yeah. yeah, well, uh, recently, uh, didn't Stephen King come out and say he might work on a Jason book? It was a joke, but yeah, it was. Um, we did a bonus episode of Losers Club, which is the Halloweenies sister podcast, and it was like he wanted to do something like internalized, like Jason's thoughts and what it was like when he keeps 
getting resurrected. Are you sure it was a joke? I mean, it sounded like a serious concept. He was kind of like, you know, the existential crisis of having to keep coming back to life and kill people. If Stephen King does, it'll probably be the first Stephen King book that I actually have read in, in <laughs> 10 years. But I would definitely be interested in hearing his take on it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, speaking of that kind of stuff, did you ever get into the nightmare uh, uh, extended universe stuff, like the the books and the comics? You said to the I was a sorry. Good. I know. I, I was going to say I was a big fan of the innovation series that came out in the mid '90s. It was a real cool uh, series of uh, comics from this small imprint that ended up bringing back all of the Dream Warriors. Oh, cool. And alice like it, it it took the mythology of the series as serious as you could and they turned kincaid into a giant panther or something <laughs> nice. which i thought was really cool i haven't read it in 20 years but i really dug those i never read that marvel magazine but uh somebody else was just talking to me on twitter about this how the third issue never got published and they were trying to figure out why and i think it was just parents groups you know, sure. going after it was it was 1989. Like that was the the hot era for right. parents groups to to ask for the boycott of yeah. stuff that teenagers yeah, liked. Yeah, I could almost see like a a, a nightmare film kind of going back to the 80s and and kind of playing with all that stuff that was going on with the satanic panic and the evangelical movement and everything. I could, you I know what I think would kind of be a cool concept is if 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 it turns out Freddy never even existed at all as a human and he he was just like this legend or just or, a demon. He, well, he's he's in your dreams, but and everybody remembers him as a guy that they like killed because he was killing children, but it turns out they kind of like just fabricated this story because kids were like committing suicide or something like that. Like it was You it know, was... and you can build you can build off you can build that into the original series, I think, mm-hmm. if you were to make a sequel, particularly I mean we're almost 40 years gone from wow. the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow. Oh, man, I can't even. So how do you think? I can't even. Would England be able to pull it off if they? I think if they did it one more time, because, again, back to what we can do with uh, what, what filmmakers can do with CGI, it doesn't always work. But what they did with Peter Cushing in Rogue One, like, it, it just keeps getting better. They just keep improving on special I effects. So, I agree. And Robert and Freddie is a, you know, he's a fantastical character. You can make him a snake. Sure. You can make him a cartoon. You can make him a comic book. You can do whatever you want with him. Is, but you need, I feel like you need England doing that voice because of that intangible personality that Absolutely. he brings Absolutely. to the role. I mean, I'm going to see it in my life. Well, I have seen it in my lifetime where they tried to replace him and it just didn't work it didn't quite work and, and of course the fun fact that they did originally shoot part two with another freddy at first yeah the one shot is in there of the stuntman kind of lumbering in the in the shower and they learned they learned real fast they right. learned real fast that you had to have england do this role right I think i mean he did the goldbergs episode so i <laughs> yeah. i know he'd come back for one if they just dumped a pile of money in sure. front of his house <laughs> and he loves the series i mean he'd be i think even without the money he'd be psyched to do one i think i think he adores it so much i think he adores the character it i mean it, new line cinema is known as the house that freddie built for a reason um all right is there uh anything else you'd like to discuss before we we wrap up mike any any nightmare uh I think I think I think we hit all of it. I can always I, my, I can always tell my favorite story about my first experience with Nightmare on the Street sure, in the let's sense hear that it. 
well, <laughs> so I'm sure you, you, you will probably remember this. So growing up, we had one VCR in the house, but we had a couple TVs. But the VCR was in the basement, but we ran a splitter up to the bedroom where we watched TV. And Saturday nights, my parents always rented three movies. And this particular night, they rented Never Cry Wolf and Nightmare on Elm Street were the two movies. And they it was early in the night that they were going to put on Never Cry Wolf before what was Never they Cry put Wolf? on Elm Street. So I would... It's um, it's a pretty good flick. It's uh, with uh, Charles Martin Smith, and he's hanging out up in the up in the Antarctic, and he's studying like wolves or something. It's been forever <laughs> since I see it, but um, I always remember my dad went downstairs, put the movie in, and we started watching it, and that was when I first saw Nightmare on Elm Street, and my mom's like, "What are you doing? This isn't what I, I told you to put on. Never Cry Wolf." And my dad's answer was, "Well, they both began with N, because it would just be on the side <laughs> of the." The <laughs> box that we rented from the place. So I'm a busy man. Was, I don't I, have time for entire words. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember sitting there and just seeing that opening. I was five years old wow. at this point, and I can still remember sitting there in that room and seeing it and being terrified. Because I was a big, I was a big candy ass when it came to horror until about 1987, 1988. Yeah, before I, I became obsessed with it. Yeah, that's. It. I mean, for me, it was always like a, a I guess, kind of a love hate where it, it terrified me, but it also, you know, right. sparked my curiosity. And uh, I feel like my yeah. introduction was actually the 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 story of Hansel and Gretel. Like that was the first horror story I was obsessed with. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Fred, that's real I classic. Being ter- I was, I, yeah, I was, I was terrified of it, and then all of a sudden, I can't, I don't know what changed, you know. But I mean, eight years old is probably still too young to be buying Fangoria magazine. But God, God bless my parents for they could be overbearing in some ways uh, when I got to be a, a teenager about some things. But pop culture, they they never saw any problem with that because my mom uh, bought used to buy Famous Masters of Filmland and Mad Magazine for my uncle. Wow, who was she was like you know ten years older than him. So when she became a mom, she was like, well. I guess I'll do the same shit I did for him. So I read a lot of Mad Magazine and Fangoria. Awesome. Which inspired my writing and my lifestyle. Nice. That's great. Sounds like you got a cool mom. Yeah, um, she's pretty cool. Another one that I that got me, and it, 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 it does almost feel like a proto-slasher film story that no one talks about in that vein, is the uh, the 1990 Lord of the Flies movie. Oh, terrifying fucking dude! Film. That, I saw that way too young, and it. <laughs> oh my god! That, to this day, I feel like that that changed a part of me, or or it like opened. That was like the first time I was like, "This is how people really are inside." You know what I mean? It's not Sesame Street. It's not I'll, Mr. Rogers. It's I'm gonna tell you right now, like on the three most recent, three of the most recent episodes of the Halloweenies podcast, The Omen, mm-hmm. Prom Night, and Sleepaway Camp. I advocate for the murder of children several times on those episodes. <laughs> and Lord of the Flies is just another example why. Oh, so you <laughs> like, did bring it they're up. They're awful fucking, right. they're awful people. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of th- that same, you know, love-hate feeling that I felt for Lord of the Flies where it, like, freaked me out, but it really intrigued me. I feel like I was looking for that in slasher movies to some degree because it's almost like the same kind of format, you know? Bunch of kids, they're isolated. Right. You know, yeah. And to wrap up, something I wanted to talk about is like that, um, you know, I think sometimes the horror heels movement is a little uh, eye roll inducing and like people talking about, you know, people get ultra nostalgic for it. But like, Freddie, watching Nightmare on Elm Street movies takes me right back to being 
uh, eight, nine, ten years old in my parents' basement, hanging out with my friends. So that's yeah. one of the reasons yeah. I absolutely love it. It, it. They truly do take me back, like almost more than any other sure. movie. Yeah, I, you and know, I, and I miss that feeling of like. Am I going to be terrified tonight or not? You know what I mean? When you pop a video into the VCR. Because, like, some stuff yeah. will still freak me out or make me feel tense or whatever. But it's rarely like, oh, my God. I don't, like, yeah. I, I cannot sleep <laughs> with the light off. Well, I, I often joke, like, so the way my house is set up, it's, like, a bi-level. And if I have to, if I'm up on, I, I was on the couch one night. And I was thinking to myself, you know, by the time my father was my age, he was raising three children. <laughs> And I'm afraid to go upstairs because the exorcist just crossed my mind. (laughs) It's too dark up there. But thankfully, I have an Alexa. I have Alexa. My house is set up with Alexa. So I can just, Alexa, turn on the lights. I'm scared, you know? (laughs) That's kind of strange that you're like, okay, with trusting this uh, invisible entity with with those things when it's. I'm living in in Demon Seed uh, 24 7. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, just imagine if somebody from 30 years ago saw you doing that. They'd be like, oh, my God, that guy's a, a wizard or something. Yeah. <laughs> he's a wizard or he's, or he's rich. He's talking to some neither. demon from hell. <laughs> 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 All right, well, this has been a lot of fun, you guys. Thank yeah. you so much, Mike. It really was. Yeah, oh, we'd, my pleasure. We'd love to have you back sometime. Uh, thank you, Jimmy. You just thank just you. just say when. I, I love, I'll, I'd love to spend my Saturday morning oh, great. with you guys. Great, great. Let's do it again soon. Um, and, uh, once again, if you want to, you want to give out your, uh, your information yeah. on where so to you find can the follow band. me on Twitter. That's Twitter is my favorite social media. It's like the wild west there still. Dude, I, enjoy I, it. I cannot crack Twitter. Me I have been trying for me a either. decade. I cannot, I got, I'll, uh, I'll help you out. It's the, you're, you're a media guy. You're doing this podcast. You need to be on Twitter, man. Like yeah. that's gonna, Oh, well, because here's the thing. I I've always was an early adapter to social media. Uh-huh. I was on MySpace early. I was on. It took me a minute to get on Facebook, but I signed up Twitter in 09 and I kind of went back and forth with it. But when I started writing semi-professionally, when I was writing at the AV Club and Daily Grindhouse five, six years ago now, Twitter was what got me traction and action and it got me gigs and I made a lot of great friends that I would end up hanging out at film festivals. It's very interactive. And I think a lot of people refer to it as a hell site, but those people don't mute and block all the right people. Uh, I It's like anything else. It's like what Scorsese was talking about with algorithms. You need to curate your you, Twitter. You got to know, and, you got to know when to delete them and when to retweet them. Yep. Yeah. Hey, you gotta yeah, I like that because I have a lot of people. If my, if my mute list ever came out, like there's a lot of people I consider, you know, friends, but I'm like, man, I can't, Right. I can't listen to every one of your thoughts. And I'm sure I'm muted. And I understand. I'm a loudmouth on there. So I, I don't I don't feel that bad about it. But like Twitter's where it's at. And you can find me at Mike Vanderbilt. And if you retweet me, I'll promise not to mute you. And you can find me on Instagram at MA Vanderbilt. And of course, on the Halloweenies podcast, this is coming out Tuesday. So our new Sleepaway Camp Patreon exclusive will it, drop. That's one you're not going to want to miss. Actually, and I got then, a little uh, bone to pick. Aren't we late on Scream 2? Is it Scream 2 supposed so, to be out? No. Um, what we're doing in is this year, because there's only four Scream films and we're building up to the release of the fifth one, Yeah, we're doing Randy's recommendations to oh, fill out the rest of the okay. year. I thought that was like a bonus so, or something. Yeah, so we're doing uh, films that are mentioned in the series. Okay. So we did Prom Night this month. Okay. 
Sleepaway Camp is our Patreon exclusive. Showgirls And is I mentioned. suppose I can announce this. Yes. Next month, we're doing how, uh, The Howling, oh. which just had its 40th anniversary, which, of course, in the first Scream, the uh, girl is looking for the werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom. <laughs> and that's going to be a fun Halloweenies episode because I think my buddy Adam Karsten, who I do Windy City Double Feature with, is going to be on that show because he just did a great oral history on the howling. He talked to John Sales. He wow. talked to Joe Dante. I've never explored a- that that uh, that series. I, it, it was one of the ones I was fascinated with in the horror section as a kid. Like they always had Which, good I covers. Keep threatening, I keep threatening to watch all the howling movies. <laughs> I think I've seen maybe four of them. The, the second one has maybe one of the best subtitles of any film I've ever heard. Absolutely. The Absolutely. Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. <laughs> great, 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 love, great lovemaking scene in that one, too. No, I was just going to say, it kind of sounds like a nice little porn title. <laughs> Your Sister's uh, Werewolf. Yeah, I'm easy to find on social media. I got a paper trail, trail a mile long. And if you're in the Chicago area, please uh, visit me at the Rock Island Public House in Blue Island on Saturdays and Sundays and Tuesdays. We have a drive-in there. Yeah, we, we talk. Yeah, we're an actual uh, island, Blue Island. No, 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 no. Uh, it's just it's um, suburb of Chicago, right on the city's edge, right on the city's edge. Because I live in Chicago, and Blue Island is just like a couple blocks over. So I'm on the city limits. But we uh, built a drive-in to stay alive during the uh, stay-at-home orders during the pandemic. Wow, are you? And you're showing movies. Become, Absolutely. Oh, that's uh, fun. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Oh, man. Uh, Maybe tonight, we should do uh, something like that. The, as, of this, as of this recording, we'll be showing Suspiria tonight oh. for St. Joseph's weekend for all the I Italians out there. Yeah. <laughs> for all the Italians. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And uh, a lot of people think it's cool. And I get to show shit like Cruel Jaws, which is uh, a great Italian Jaws ripoff that we showed last <laughs> night. That is streaming on Amazon Prime. And I do recommend you watching if you like when animals attack flicks. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. This was a great episode. Oh, I think it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, let's do it again. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody.